0: we're gonna announce joe as a guest we don't even <laughs> announce who we are so it's not like <laughs> no that there's an extra person here.
1: <laughs> welcome joe thank you i'm i'm joe
0: oh joe do you want to plug your podcast to our one listener
1: yeah sure yeah um yeah i heard you guys have have listeners have like repeat listeners that's uh i think I we made
0: know. some like trending list in norway once right oh i got an email about it i was like what why
1: We got we gotta we gotta aim for that um yeah, I, I uh, I'm on a podcast with I host a podcast with Evan Cooper, who we all used to work with too. It's called Runtime Rundown, and uh, you can find it at RuntimeRundown.com dot com, um, or on any of your podcast uh, machines. You know your your um, your Spotify's, your Apple Podcasts, your Amazon Podcasts, your um, any of those any of those ones. It's a good time.
2: It's probably in the Zoom store somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah yeah um i first of all it's been i I was just saying earlier that i I still refer to your red green refactor talk a lot because people uh are struggling with tdd like just feeling okay with it and i think even just feeling okay with the scrutiny of someone else validating and that being machine and i was the, the thing i didn't say was i think that we're about to head into a world in which things like generative AI are going to make writing tests significantly easier and people are going to have to let go of that notion of feeling judged because it's going to be a machine soon, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I'm curious to see where that stuff goes. Cause, um, i w I've been thinking about, I mean, we've all been thinking about this a lot about the whole generative AI and LLMs thing. And with testing in particular, I think that it's going to have like good and bad sides right because the good the good is going to be you're going to get more tests which is always I I think not always great it's usually great to get more tests um up to a point but um but like you aren't going to be the one who has written those tests so uh, so like you're going to have now this unfamiliar code in your code base and how is that going to go it might go fine but uh it's kind of weird when somebody else writes something in your code base and now you have to like maintain it and you have to understand it.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, like, if if it writes all the tests and it asserts that three actually is equal to four, you know, you probably need some kind of human intervention in order to figure that out, right?
0: Also, what about all the tests that you write as you go that you then throw away that are more helpful for just getting a good architecture down? I find that to be, like, one of the biggest... When I'm, like, starting a new thing and I'm a little fuzzy on which direction to go, that's one of the biggest benefits of TDD is, like, you're, you're, just, you're like letting the tests guide your architecture a little bit and yeah if you just have something else write the tests for the thing then like how do you get that benefit i guess you just write it twice i don't know
3: well you know i think that's one of the responses to the fear responses to ai right is that like it's more helping you with the typing than it is with the thinking and at the end of the day we're paid really more for the thinking the typing isn't all like an important thing to express that, but I think that's gotta be a, a part of what has happened here.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if the, like, if the, if the, t- if, yeah, basically to, to both of those points, if you could just say, write me one test that makes sure that my code is going to, you know, hit this endpoint when I call this function, then that'll give you the one test that will be failing until you write the function, and then you can tell it, "Hey, write me a function that calls this endpoint," and then you're done. Like, and, and then your test turns green, and and you're good to go. Uh, I don't think it's gonna probably work out that perfectly every time, but um, yeah, it could be a uh, could be a starting point.
3: Yeah, I mean, to your point, like having it be a conversation that can evolve with like without. I think to your point before, like having faster feedback loops. I think this really can be a, a huge unlock for that. Um, so I don't I think it's it's a little bit early to say that that's active now, but I think it's it's a distinct possibility. And I think one of the tricks there again is just like validating that the conversation goes in the direction that you want. But I think that's exactly what this, what these structures are all set up for, right? Like, you can, if you know that it's wrong, <laughs> that's actually a, a good thing. If it, if it saves some time to like get to a right thing later, right? So I, I wonder,
2: I wonder if it's going to just introduce so much noise. I was looking at uh, Twitter and uh, their algorithm, and I looked at all the pull requests, and I was like. Oh my god! This pull request that just like changes a whole bunch of typos. I'm like, how do you know that's not going to all like result in some sort of like asynchronous problem where something's referring to some old cached version of the code? Like, God, the quality of suggestions, and you have no idea where it's coming from or where this person's coming from. If if without a good prompt, so you have no idea where the AI is going to come from. Um, it's just going to be like this, but worse, maybe. Unless you've yeah, got a again the right critical thinking, as you're you're describing,
3: Richard. Well, I think that, that that might define an approach, right? In the sense that if you use the AI first for test coverage, right? Now you have something that's validatable. Then it can get things wrong later. And it's okay because your your test harness like protects you from that. But, it, you know, starting the other way is probably, to your point, not going to work out well, right?
0: Are you all actually using AI day-to-day? I'm curious how you're like... like- like i i really want to i i feel not like fomo but like oh shoot i'm like missing out on this trend and like like i i need to like very post haste figure out how i'm gonna let this like help me day to day the only thing that i'm actually using is uh raycast which is a replacement for spotlight um there's a beta program right now that they're gonna charge for eventually but right now it's free you just hit so I just hit command space ask and it's just there and it just is like a chat thread and it's just I think it's just wired up to GPT 4 or something. Um, and that's just like you know, in it's just replaced my open a new tab, go to Google and like figure out how to spell something or get a synonym for a word or like you know, ask about some documentation of some technology. So I've been using that just like because it's just sort of very low friction seamlessly works into my workflow. But other than that, like, I'm just kind of like poking at it and trying to figure out what I should do. I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot
1: of tools, we're going to see that in a lot of tools. We're already seeing that in some tools. Like I know Notion has a new AI feature. Duolingo has a new AI feature. Um, I'm a little bit like, I'm trying to tamp down my uneasy feelings about about AI. I see two sides of the spectrum right now. I see people being very... Bullish on it, people being like jumping in, trying to like build businesses around it. I see a lot of that. And then I see a lot of people who are feeling very uneasy about it and like it's going to take our jobs and I don't know how to keep up with it. And I'm sort of trying to like be in the middle there somewhere. I'm like, it's going to change something, but I don't know what yet. So I'm trying to sort of like ride this balance between wait and see and also get involved enough in it that I feel like I'm not going to be like way behind.
4: Yeah, so that reminds me also like the recent uh, Web three trends we've seen like you know everyone was like leaving their job to go to a Web three company like oh your Web two is in, in, in the past and like what happened like nothing really, and then and then crypto crashed and like everyone's like ah that was a, that was a mistake. If you look at like the, the the chat stuff, I I personally think that this AI stuff will make seniors more valuable in the future. Why? Because like if we can figure out how to leverage all this stuff, we'll be more productive like you said Richard like you know it's about the thinking and not the typing and if we can get the typing faster great and also the people who are afraid of ai taking our jobs they're not going to go into the industry so like new new folks are not coming in as much and there'll be less supply and we'll have the same problem we always had of a shortage and yeah i think in the future we'll we'll be even more valuable
2: i i find it amazing the idea that maybe like my intellect might not atrophy because I can, can sort of outsource some of that raw execution power uh, to an algorithm. I think that sounds incredible. The thing that right now is really messy is that, um, you know, corporations have intellectual property, which means that, you know, they have some protection of, of what they're building being, you know, able to be capitalized and so i think like we're going to find that it's gonna be really hard for companies to accept the fact that they need to use this tool and so they'll want to build it in house and then now every company's going through like a giant looking at their budget to say hey whatever we're spending let's just spend maybe 40 percent of that right and this is going to be expensive in the beginning because the algorithms are going to be are, are going to be the least efficient that they'll ever be. And so they'll be really expensive at the beginning. And some company is going to place a bet. And then the other companies that are in that field are all going to have a tough time competing, I think. And maybe it won't be that crazy, but it, it feels somewhere between the hype of crypto and maybe the hype of Web2, whereas like, Web2 is a real thing that we all have jobs from. Um, that change things seismically like without aws without like css and javascript like that that world really caused the world to change as as we all saw it i think this is is that sort of momentum
1: yeah i I have a feeling that a lot of businesses are kind of in a wait and see position right now too to see how other businesses are going to be using these ai tools and how much you can get from both your senior and your junior engineers who are using these tools to to write code because i i could see it being beneficial on both sides like um we actually talked about this i talked about this last last week with evan uh about how um it'll it'll make you know one thought is i think a lot of the fear is around that it could make junior junior engineers more uh, obsolete because, like, the senior engineers can just write a lot of the code. You know, junior engineers a lot of their job is being given a task and writing the code for that task. And if that can just be done by a senior engineer with a with an AI, it kind of takes takes that away. Um, but uh, you know, on the on the flip side, like, what is the that's going to generate a lot of code that now the senior engineer has to review has to. It's like. Is their time better spent reviewing that code, or is it better spent uh, designing new solutions for new problems? And so, you know, I think uh, Evan had a good point that like the the, the junior engineers are probably actually going to be the ones benefiting a lot from this because they can write a lot more code that more quickly, um, where they're given the task and they can write the code to to solve that task. My, what I'm wondering is like. Is that mean they're going to not be learning as much? You know, I think a lot of the learning that I got through when I was a junior was through discovery and through like figuring out how to solve these problems, figuring out the API of these, you know, whether it's the DOM API or whether it's some API of some third party library, like that stuff is important. That's like an important fundamental. And then my, on the flip side of that, I think about, okay, but is that, am I just kind of like when the calculator came out and people were like, but people are going to have to stop doing math in their heads and everybody's going to get, everybody's going to lose that ability. Is that kind of, is there a a parallel to that here too?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is the, the, um, I was chatting with, uh, so I'm on this, I'm at a new company and I, I, I got a job. Yay. And, I am on a new team and my tech lead is a PhD who teaches at a college and we were having this conversation about newcomers into the, uh, even at the college level, the, the intro courses are like, you know, high level Python. And like, um, like, if, like if you really get deep, you like start learning some of the computer science stuff, but uh, you know, they were concerned about people not getting a, a good foundation and this is before all the ai stuff and yeah i'm 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 thinking um, i i'm thinking it's gonna be really hard to break into this industry right like if the if the ai is generating your code and you don't understand what's going on and then you get something like a performance issue that that you know i i worry that the generated code is you know the ai can be very confidently wrong And not understand the nuance and the details and like, and then you need, you need somebody there. So like, where does that, so I think like senior engineers are going to take a really big coaching and teaching sort of role, uh, in the future. And I just feel bad for people trying to get into this industry and just learning it at such a high level and not getting that core foundation. I mean, like start with C, right? Start with C, write a bunch of stuff. That's, that's how I would do it if I was telling somebody to get in right now. Uh,
3: I think that structure has been true for a very long time in the sense that like when I started out, I like PHP and Python were some of the first languages that I wrote. And when I talked to the folks who are in the industry longer than me, they said, well, you know, have you written assembly or C or other things? And my answer was no. And they're like, this is a bunch of nonsense and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know the fundamentals and what's happening. And, you know, it's going to be a disaster. And I think, you know, I think we've had higher level programming languages every generation, which have the same thing. But, um,
0: but looking back now, do you feel like that was the best way, f- like path for you?
3: So really what it is, like this thing where like, you know, you, you go back, you, um, the, the one that's coming to mind is like about music production. Right. So like, you know, there's a story. i might have to this before, but like, you know uh, don't use samples like recreate all the sounds by by synthesis instead right and ah, uh, the synthesis isn't really good so now i'm going to go and i'm going to like you know buy a drum right and i'm going to actually record the drum and whatever and then uh you know there's a drum that i bought from a store it's cool but like you know i really wanted like to tune this you know whatever and so now i became a goat farmer because i want to you know make the goat skins for the drum and I have no time to make music anymore, right? And so, like, this is you know, I forget where the who to attribute for that story, but point is, I think there's always going to be people who go from the music industry into goat farm farming, and that's fine. And I think really the like, who's hiring for those skills at different points in time is the thing that kind of defines like what <laughs> what that actually looks like. That is
1: great. Uh, that's a great metaphor for a lot of things. There are going to be people who start in one ist- industry and end up in like a completely different industry. Uh, I'm thinking about my own path, like learning. You know, I I started with a high level language. I started with JavaScript. I actually started not even with the DOM, but with like Canvas, and um, it was so easy to like get up and running and get something exciting on the screen. And that feedback loop was so fun. And I I mean I could see AI making that even more like exciting because you, you get to, uh, kind of these more significant code, uh, you know, more significant chunks of code happening f- faster with a faster feedback loop. And then I went from there into some of the more low level stuff. I, I have never gotten into C, but I've gotten into like lately I've been getting into rust and I've been getting into, um, I just like understanding more about the low level computing. Um, and, uh, it, I see both sides of it because I could see coming in the other way that could be really compelling for uh, somebody else. Somebody could get really into assembly and see first and then take that from from there and, and get higher level with it. So I think that there are like it kind of depend maybe depends on personality, probably depends on a lot of things. But I, I could see coming at it from both ways. But you have to start, in, in my opinion, uh, with something compelling and fun and that, that keeps you wanting to know the next thing.
4: Yeah. Plus one to that. I mean, that's how I got started as well. Like, uh, like, you know, getting to something simple and small family business, like here's I can do this thing, get like find the love for it, go deeper, learn more things. But remember, like people who were going into C at the time when C was new was like the same problem. Like, oh, you're yeah. doing too high level. Like you're not understanding assembly. You don't know the architecture of the computer is, you not how things work. It's like the same story all the time. I think that, like, hey, as long as you can accomplish your goal and you understand how to maintain it, how to fix it, how to evolve it, is there any problem not understanding, like, how a computer actually works? To me, no.
3: Yeah, I I mean, I think where we're at now, right, the the AI solution right now is that, like, the stack overflow posts, which had things which were wrong often anyway, or, like, weird or, you know, whatever, um, now is being replaced by a different tool, right? And so, like, that That's you know, if we always think of them as tools, like, I think we'll be okay. If we think of them as humans, it gets a little weird. But, you know, I will say the good part of that, right, is really the failure piece, right? Like, these tools are getting better because they're, like, really, if I think about AI, one way that I think about AI lately is that it's a thing that we've been able to encode failure, right, and adaptation. And that's that is how the brain works, and that's how we all get better. And cool, like if I get a, you know, a better Stack Overflow answer tomorrow, <laughs> because it's been trained and essentially told that it was wrong, right? That's you know, that's how it gets reinforced or the right paths get reinforced.
4: Um, another, another thing along those lines, like I personally, I was very active on Stack Overflow. And one way I learned so many things was by people asking those questions and me trying to be like, hmm, that's an interesting problem. How would I, how would I like solve this? Try to answer the question, get it wrong and then hear the answer. And I'm like, oh, now I know the answer. Whereas, like, if now people are going straight to JetGPT GPT or something, we don't see those answers. It's even harder to learn, like, across your area.
0: Yeah, I, I was thinking too. Like, if you're if you've been in this industry for a while, you know that, like, if you want to stay relevant, you either find your niche that's so deep that people can't replace you, or, but like the vast majority of, of us, especially in front end, oh my gosh, new framework every week, right? Uh, front end fatigue who was it was it abramov that wrote the somebody wrote one of these front-end thought leaders wrote a really great article about um front-end uh, like framework fatigue and how it's similar to it can be a good thing like it's similar to exercise where like yes you get fatigued but you get this habit of constantly changing and constantly rewriting things and refactoring things and moving and, and so that uh front-end as a community moves much faster than a lot of other communities because we have this fatigue like we're yes we're fatigued but like okay take a break and then get back into it because it's actually making us stronger and i feel like in some ways this giant shift and giant move is maybe a little more normal for front end engineers and maybe a little more upsetting and startling to other areas that are very less frequently disrupted like this
2: i for one welcome are are robot overlords because I don't learn in a typical way. I don't know if there is a typical way that software engineers learn, but I definitely learn differently than it seems like the people around me have learned. And so having a machine that can take a prompt and take the particular ways in which I like to learn and help explain it to me that way. And I can explore the concepts with them. Like maybe... This tool will actually be the thing that helps me understand the twenty frameworks and the trade-offs between them um, and make the right informed choice rather than trying to flail through it. And I can rapidly prototype in this in this in this more virtual mind palace that's outside of my own mind that looks a little bit more like my mind. That sounds pretty awesome. And it sounds like maybe the thing that I've really struggled with is the fact that I, how do I I've always said, you know how do I continue to work for the next thirty years? it's the change is going to be unrelenting. Well, if you've got a machine that can help make that a bit less scary, maybe I'll be, you know, a really effective, you know, uh, staff engineer or or manager, in, you know, well into my sixties.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm curious uh, exactly how you learned, uh, but that that reminds me of how I learned, which was like I had a friend who I grew up with, and he was a like really good software engineer. He started when he was ten years old. Like by the time we were in high school, he was like working at Pratt and Whitney. After college, he went to, like, uh, one of those, like, quants making $500,000 a year. Like, really, really sharp person. And and he would give me very direct, like, harsh feedback on, like, hey, what are you, like, you know, do? like, constantly pointing me in the right direction and, like, not worrying about, like, being polite, right? And I attribute that as, like, why I have learned so much. And I wonder, like, in the chat GPT world, sometimes it's not polite. Sometimes it's too polite. Maybe, maybe they, like, they should... This should be a way for people to get really direct feedback in a safe way that's like, hey, like you're doing it totally wrong. And like, think about it this way. And and I don't imagine a chat GPT doing it like that.
1: Yeah, I don't either. I I imagine it being a a little bit more kind of neutral. But what happens when it's like, hey, you're doing it wrong and it's wrong? That's kind of the thing that that, uh, I keep coming back to is people talk about how chat GPT is so confidently wrong a lot of the times. Um, but Dan, I think I heard you talking about, um, about, uh, uh, the, like the, the benefit that you've been seeing with chat GPT with documentation. So basically like if the docs are bad for some project or if they're missing or something, you can just ask chat GPT for examples in this framework or in this language and it just gives them to you. And it can, it can, that feels like, uh, that feels like an area where it does really well. Um, and I think we're going to probably see more of that.
0: Yeah, like as I as I am learning things, like I'm new to a thing and I'm like going through it and I'm typing up an example and there's like a you can start to sense these gaps where it's like, okay, I'm just not quite grokking this thing and the docs are not giving me enough detail or the right information. So if you can just form the right question and throw it into GPT, I've I have had these case a few times now with um uh TRPC, the, the docs were not quite getting there, or there just wasn't enough examples. But you can just say like how like how do people typically do this thing? What is it typically for? Just give me the give me the thing as if I'm talking to an engineer on that team and it's pretty good at like synthesizing the docs and giving you the getting you at least like a lot closer to the thing. I found that useful yeah
2: I wonder how much uh so most people are familiar with ChatGPT because it's the m- most easily available thing to not write any code or, or sign up. Right. But I wonder how much of what we think it's good at is merely through, it sounds like and you've, you've actually had some experience, but I feel like in my mind, I look at this tool and I think of all the ways in which it's probably really good at things. And in the same way that we describe ChatGPT as hallucinating, being highly confident in things that aren't true, perhaps it's not actually really that good at most of the things that we think it's good at because we simply haven't had the time yet to actually sit down and, and make it work i mean i don't know about you but i think the limitation has been my actual like uh you know meat sack that actually has fingers and time schedules and things and places to do that i haven't had the time to actually try and get it to work and do the things that i think it's actually good at so i have no idea if it's actually any good at any of these things
3: it's so what i'll say is it's actually bad right like the innovation here is not like it is getting better but the innovation really is that it's it's working us right we engage with it because of the way that it responds in a way that we feel uh, represents resilience right and that we want to engage with it later and i think there's a good learning for that at just any person as a human if you can't express yourself in a way that chat gpd does where you're actually like willing to admit faults (laughs) right uh you're like receptive to future feedback you don't anchor in like you don't you know put your foot down when you might be wrong right i think to me that's that's the advancement that we're going to get going forward with these things by essentially building in the resilience that we don't always have right and that's where it can actually learn right because i think connor's your point and and raf you know at this point too right like learning comes from failure and that's basically the only place that learning comes from and so if this thing can fail all day you know it fails less but it's always going to fail and that's how it learns right
1: i wonder if it will actually train us to be more skeptical of what is perceived as like authoritative advice you know raf to your point about early in your career you were you were getting uh, you were learning and getting mentored by somebody who it sounds like was very direct and and probably in a lot of ways was correct, but sounds like my guess would be very opinionated. And I had people like that early on in my career, too, like they they had strong opinions and I learned from them. And it back then it was like, oh, that's the only way you can do this. You know, that's the only way you can do any of this stuff and any other way is wrong. And you take that for granted, especially when you're a junior. But if you're talking to uh, an LLM that is, that you know can be wrong, has the potential to be wrong and be like direct about it and be wrong, that's going to make you question a lot of that advice and and maybe see a lot more subtlety.
2: Mm. Yeah. I, I think, uh, Richard, you made this, this, uh, I think you actually made this, this, this thing, this point of a while back, we may not have recorded it, but essentially it was something on the lines of the reason it is so successful is that it understands that it needs to be approachable and, uh, not a jerk and likable. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I, but, but it could, it so easily could be what you want rough, like, you could just give it the prompt that you want to be direct and, and to the point. And you could even ask it to be uh, a little bit of a jerk or say it in Jordan, Jordan Peterson's voice, or, you know, uh, the, the, the words that maybe a president would say. Um,
3: but it's true. Yeah. I mean, kind of like one thing that, um, raise a thought and what you said, Joe was like, when we have an advisor, one question is how big the pool we're in is. And so if we trust this person, the question is, does anyone else trust this person? And so with AI right now, it's chat GPT end, right? End of statement. Going forward, it could be you know Joe's chat GPT, which gives a certain different type of advice. And there's gonna be some kind of like battles. Like, is it is it just chat GPT? Is it the canonical thing? Like Does the Catholic church have their own, you know, chat bot and like, right. Exactly. Like Joe GPT. Right. And so like, I think going forward, so right now I think we're actually in a unique situation where there's a conformity and I like there's, because of these things take so much computational resource, right. Or so many resources, like um, the, we can't have that many of them in the world, which side note, this whole other thing talking about the threats it was a bunch of billionaires saying that they got left out at the party and they just want to slow the track so that they can jump in like that that's what that nonsense was in my opinion but um really it's like to operate these things takes a lot of a a large percentage of the compute that we have in the universe that's probably not going to be true forever right and that's going to be an interesting transition so
2: We When the iPhone came, though, we were not ready for the sheer amount of bandwidth we would need. And all of the telco companies said, we can't do this. We aren't going to sign a contract to do it. And yet, humans found a way. And arguably, maybe it isn't the best. Maybe it didn't all unfold exactly the right way for humanity. But... I wouldn't bet on us not having the compute capacity capacity we need to do to have maybe as you said the Catholic Church chatbot um as well as the Julia child chatbot um right like I think that we will find a way to have this this actually will be the metaverse um you know I'm not sure like 3D graphics are are going to hook up to it yet but like this sort of fantasy of, of written language will be the metaverse. And I think we will find the way to scale it in the next 10 years. Um, we're just seeing it do it in the most clumsy way possible right now. And it's very, 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 as you said, like very computation heavy.
0: Life finds a way. I had a, I had a terrifying thought and a really good thought. The the, the good one is there's a lot of times where I, I, I was thinking of like create React app and like uh tab nine and uh, snippets and like all these things where it's like, well, yeah, there's like a thing. Like who who remembers the exact syntax for a HTML document anymore, right? I just type HTML tab in my editor and it just like puts the thing in there. Like if, if they could just like, like imagine if GPT was around, when create react app was getting made and it's like oh yeah i'll just have gpt scaffold out my react app in the in the latest and best way because i don't care and i don't want to know that thing and i know it's like a set thing and that's gonna happen it might that might be a little dangerous but that would be really cool and then my terrifying thought was if they if they if somebody comes out with a thing that's like neil degrasse tyson reading the results I'll believe anything it says. Like the, it's so, <laughs> it's such an authoritative, like you know what I mean. And uh, if the, like if they could get to the point where it's like, oh man, I, I really want to believe everything it's saying right now. And people that don't have that, like super skeptical, or don't have the knowledge or ability to like backtrace sources and stuff like that, or don't have the time. This could be,
3: yeah. Well, <laughs> and I, I think there's a structure here, which is that like all for all of humanity, since you know we're whatever we're doing 10,000, 30,000 years ago, right? It's always been true before. It's always going to be true later that like group formation is tricky and weird and a little bit scary. And so the point is like, if we're in this large thing where everyone's on the same thing, there's going to be someone who offshoots from that thing. Right. And says like, screw that. I'm not doing that. And so I think to your point about the, the Neil Tyson bot, which I would also follow, um, like, I think the, the fear, is really just that there's a disruption to our social groups and the group formation and that we're going to have to think about that going forward and that change is always going to be disruptive but that's also like a natural part of any human life and i think that like the more we're able to be comfortable with that discomfort and be aware of it the better we're going to be able to, to handle it. Wait, I'm not making the connection. What? Basically. So like, why would I follow? So we follow chat GPT cause there's not like, you know, um, you know, Joe GPT hasn't come out yet. And so we're all following, uh, that. Eventually there's going to be two or three or you know, bards already there. Right. So like, which one do you follow? And I think we put part of humans identity is placed in the groups that they form. I'm a Google Bard person. I'm a chat GPT person. Right. And right now there's only two. And in some ways that's simpler and easier. We're in in kind of a nice, like pretty little world. And it's going to get weird later. (laughs) Probably some of these things also combine. Yeah. You're talking like green bubble, blue bubble sort of situation. Yeah. I'm not sure. I know the reference, but yeah.
0: Like if you have an iPhone and you send it, you get a, you get a blue bubble, but the one person in the group that, doesn't have yep. an iPhone, makes everything green, and mm-hmm. frustrated.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I like that uh, that that like future thinking over there about like the you know, the groups people um, and the Neil deGrasse Tyson reference. I, I went to one of his talks in in Boston. He did like a three hour like presentation, and, and uh, what he was talking about was the relationship between like innovation and like the respect for like you know STEM in, and in the culture of the country you're in and how that translates to economic benefits going forward. And he was talking about like how, um, I forget the years, I think it was like 800 BC or something like that. Like there was like uh, in, in the Middle East, like the, um, you know, in the Arab countries that the, like, that was the golden age of Islam. Like the, like all these things happened over there, like, you know, algebra, like so much, so many like medical innovations. And, and at some point, like some philosopher got into power, uh, religious person that was like, Hey, listen, like, um playing with numbers doesn't get you closer to god and then all of a sudden like thousand years of stale and so there he was worried about america like being like you know way way on on the uh on the on the dangers of not being creatively thinking and like challenging things and trying to understand the world we live in and so like if we're in this world of like oh chat gpt said like that's the answer therefore that's the answer and i'm not gonna think about it we're gonna have a like in, in from based on what he was saying like that's a Big problem for our
1: economic future. It's interesting how, you know, we talk about Chat GPT right now. That's kind of like the way that we describe this whole phenomenon of LLMs, because that's the the I think the biggest one's the most most at least highly visible one. Um, but there are, you know, like you mentioned, there's Bard and and we are gonna see this start to fragment a little bit. And I think something that I, I was listening to the Shop Talk show last week and they were talking about this about uh, how like um uh Copilot is really good at coding s- stuff. And ChatGPT is like okay at coding stuff, but it's not the best at co- It's not optimized for coding stuff. And then BARD, I'm not really sure what that's optimized, but they're each gonna be optimized for a different thing. And like I could see it going in, in two directions again. It could either get more n- narrowly focused. So uh, you know, um uh copilot keeps getting better and better at code, and chat GPT keeps getting better and better at something else. Um, Or they could all try and converge and they could all try and kind of like, uh, but if that happens, I think they're all going to be competing for the same resources. I think it's going to make more sense for them to try and specialize a little bit. Um, But if if that's the case, I think we, there is potential to see a lot more of these, of these things.
0: Isn't there a thing though, where the first to market wins because the quality is based on how many people are using it to improve it? I heard that's like what the... as someone
2: who works for a company that was first to market and is increasingly increasingly losing market share uh not all the time i I mean not 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 every company
0: but i I think the what i heard was that with large large language models at least in the chat search sort of space because like search was the same way right google is so good because everybody's using it and they can refine based on that data I yeah but that, Go- like...
1: google before google there was Alta. you remember altavista <laughs> and like uh yes. what, like there, you know the, ask jeeves like there were plenty of plenty of uh search engines before google and so yeah i think that giving that like being first gives you a leg up in some ways but then in, in other ways it probably in the lo- in the long term it's a more unknown at least you have to
0: use that data in the right way
3: mm-hmm. yeah you can get too comfortable right with anything
0: I was definitely an AltaVista fan. I remember when Google came on the radar, and I was like, pfft, fad. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> Dude, AltaVista is like, where it's at. People aren't going to switch.
2: Well, do you know how it seems like um, in culture, I'd say in the 2010s, it suddenly became really cool to be authentic, to be as authentic as you can be. to if you're gonna buy something, don't buy the thing that looks like what everyone else has and buy the thing that you buy at the you know, buy let a decade or two ago's trends. Don't buy right I think what and by the way that became totally mainstream and now like everyone looks like a hipster. But I think the thing that will be really cool is that there will be a trend of people who who don't who may may not want to adopt this but then put a lot of scrutiny on everything that they hear that is generated and they they do actually pay like put a lot of value on how real is this was this written by a real journalist was this at least informed by a data set of real journalists or was this informed by a data set of generated data made by journalists 15 years ago that's been regurgitated over and over again I think that there will be, like, there have been businesses like True Sign, whose job it is to, like, vouch for the validity of things. And obviously, as we've seen with Twitter, uh, they tried and, you know, were bought by someone who has an, a goal in mind. And certainly that isn't necessarily what we all are benefiting from right now. But there will be a company whose job it is, is to tell you, can I actually trust this thing? Maybe. Maybe we don't care about that. Maybe we don't need that. I think we do.
3: There's, a, there's an interesting like relation here to like... Okay, so there's PHP the language and then there's whatever company X did to PHP, right? And so, similar type of model where there's like someone out there has a different idea of what we should be doing with PHP, right? But do we incorporate that idea or not, <laughs> right? Or like, what's the... And so I think... I think there's a there's a path here where rewriting the code base takes a lot of time i'm curious long long term if we say hey look we use these like chat or you know gpt whatever it is look at our code base this is what we did this other thing is better go nuts (laughs) now some you know engineers like six month project is like you know an afternoon tea time right with, with the bot and i think that's it, there's a little bit of scariness in that, but I think um, I think some version of that is in our future, right? It's already kind of here with code completion and whatnot, right?
1: That's super interesting. Uh, it makes me think of JavaScript and Node, and now more recently Bun. So, like, somebody took the the sort of they, they took they took the JavaScript that it was in Node and they completely redid it. Uh, and I wonder if you threw that problem at it at an LLM, what it would do with it. You know, take The node code base and optimize it make it like you know what i mean bun isn't just optimizing node you know it's a different different thing but it's it's it would be interesting to think about what we could do
4: with that yeah i want to touch on the topic we were like getting into before about like the transition and like you know humans have a way and then like what happens when we're 60 years old and like the the idea of Hey, are we are we gonna be around like in this industry in that time? And like, you know, people have been saying a lot that, you know, like there's an age ageism in the industry, and of course there definitely is, right? Like right now. But what happens when like millions of people age? Like we we a lot of us are like within like the ages of like thirty ish, forty, you know, in that age, and like got like the, the, the like the industry grew so much at that time, we're all gonna age together. Right. And so, like, is it going to be like, hey, no one is like, it's going to be weird to have a coworker who's like in his 60s. Probably less weird 20 years from now.
2: I wonder if wisdom of having gone through some things will actually be valuable to identify truth. Right. Like, if people don't have, we're never, <clears throat> if people were never taught how to use, like, not use a calculator, who's going to teach them what's actually happening? and i think will all these people who are going to go running out the gate but not understanding anything underneath the hood i think that that wisdom will actually be a super valuable commodity maybe probably not maybe though
3: here's a weird reaction to that i think when we think about truth we're thinking about universal truth right and one question here is is that real or does it exist or how often does it exist right and so i think we we can look in essentially what's happened to the news cycle right inputs are training us right uh, we, we are all bots <laughs> we have uh, over time received different inputs and we have different outputs and reactions to those things right and so i think there's um there's something important to that too where like we can't figure out what truth is anyway like in in any context (laughs) and in some ways you know we can evaluate that as whether that's a bug or a feature right so if if someone can take care of you and you believe in them cool you know if you make them upset and they put you out on the street and you know you're done then you know let's let's think about another option there and i think that's that's kind of the way that i think about my process of aging through my career is what's the what are the single points of failure that i have in my network well how can i build in some resiliency from that and really at the end of the day for me it was be less of a jerk be more open and like invest in people
0: right yeah that's interesting i think there is a lot of we talk mostly about like Tech and ability to like hammer out code and understanding of architecture, but there's a lot of stuff around software development on the management, leadership, and and that side that I think just maturity, whether or not that maturity and experience can come in like really useful there. Um, but yeah, I I I uh, I've been thinking about this a bit because right now in Paris there's these like riots about raising the um, retirement age, and I think Russia just bumped theirs up by like ten years or something crazy. Um, so like, I was thinking, what am I going to be doing when I'm 60? And the way I, I think I want, I, I'm trying to approach this is like day to day. Now I want to be moving in a direction towards like already being very happy with my life and what I'm doing. And, um, as long as I'm exercising that muscle of constantly changing and breaking and reforming habits and like moving into things that are interesting and keeping a positive curiosity around things, I don't see a I mean, it, barring like a huge shift in what I have to do as a, like, I have to like dig ditches manual labor stuff, I, I don't see a world in the future where I'm not going to be okay with things. So I'm not too worried about it. And I do think there's something kind of uh, pleasant about thinking about just being a super old dude in the room talking about good old days and like stuff like that. I I mean, I already do that. So... <laughs> <laughs> like I don't see it being much different uh in the future, but also humans are terrible at predicting future, so who knows?
1: yeah, I think for me, the curiosity is the core of it, like keeping curious as at the forefront of whatever you're doing because that's gonna be the thing that not only is it gonna keep you you know it, as soon as I start feeling fear around whatever I'm falling behind on, whether that's the latest React framework, or the you know the latest JavaScript framework, or AI, whatever. It's sort of like okay, but is there a way that I can reframe this in order to look at it from a curious perspective? And like, this is me talking from like these are the, the in my best in my best time that happens. I don't all you know I'm not always able to do that, but I try and approach things with a curious mindset so that rather than feeling all this fear, I can say, well, how can I adapt? Cause like adaptability is, uh, I think the thing that keeps people in the game for the long term. I think about people who I've known in the past who have had a harder time adapting and sort of been like, oh, I gotta learn this other language. Oh, you- everybody's moving to, you know, whatever, ES6. Or, I mean, it's kind of a silly example, but it's like, you know, so- some new shift in the language or the popular what language is even popular, you know, now like go and rust didn't, didn't exist 10, you know, they probably existed 10 years ago, but they weren't what they are today. And if you kind of hadn't been curious about them, which isn't to say that you need to jump in with both feet and, and make it your entire job. But if you're just curious about them, what are they good at? What are they used for? Um, then I think you can, you can at least give yourself like an inroad into not feeling terrified when it's like, Ten years down the line, and everybody's using
0: that, and you're like, I don't even know how to get started. This is also a big reason that I'm explicitly not using GPT for some stuff because I'll think, oh, I don't understand this thing. If I just go to GPT, I'm just going to get the answer. But if I get curious about it and I I actually like, like, okay, I need to just like hammer this out myself. I just need to block off 45 minutes and I'm just going to dig in as hard as I can and use my own brain for it. Uh, I think you get that. It's like a different, it's a different approach. But yeah, it's all about the framing and the mindset. Because if you're like, yeah, this happens to me too, where like, I'll I'll run into a bug or something's not working. And I'll be like, I I just want to go lay down for a minute, because it's just like, really upsetting. But then I think, you know, okay, let me get interested. Let me get curious. Let me dig in. Let me see what is going on here. And that's, always turns out better because then you learn something and you're like oh yeah okay it's the problem was me obviously most of the time <laughs> move on
2: yeah you know you'll get an answer if you search but I, I don't i don't i don't know if it's the it's up to you and you know it's it's there's a podcast called um the world wolf you uh the one you feed and it's about the two wolves parable which May or may not actually be a true Cherokee legend, uh, or something made up, but the the gist of it is right. Um, someone who's w- wiser is talking to someone younger, and the younger person says, um, "You know, uh, I've got a fight go- going on inside of me. It's between two wolves. One's evil, representing you know anger, uh, all the all the things that are, are tough emotions, and one's good. It's joy, peace, love, all the things." Um, and there's a battle going on between the two wolves and the, the, the younger person asks the older person which wolf will win and the older person says the one that that you feed, right? And I think that that comes down to how do we... We have a choice. It, I think it's ultimately it boils down to you have choices in your life no matter how where you think you are. You do have some choice and we will continue to have choices. I'm not sure AI actually has a choice. I think it's actually operating... Uh, based on a whole bunch of conditioned algorithms. And maybe we are too. Maybe we are just very sophisticated algorithms. I watch my child and I look at the she's training her brain, and it's definitely true. But we perceive that we have a choice. And I think that that's a big deal. Um, right. And a part of that comes with, oh, well, I have a choice. So I'm being lazy and not understanding the thing. So I do want to go sit down and let my, you know, just like walk away from this because I feel like, a, you know, totally awful that I can't figure this out. But at the same time, like we, we get to human. The the bot doesn't get to human yet. And uh, that's the amazing thing about life that I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to be able to do over the next six or so years is like actually get to enjoy the real world that the, the bot only gets tangential experience with. It never really touches reality. It might get cameras. It might get LIDAR. It might get, you know we'll probably have bots that scan the earth we already do google google already exists but like more sophisticated bots that scan the earth and make this second life for us but we get the real life thing right now and that's pretty cool and uh, we get to make those choices yeah dan could you ask ChatGPT to for
3: this podcast
1: yeah just a minute Well, while while you're doing that, I have one more thought about something Richard said earlier about uh, building resiliency, and 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 you know if you see sort of a single point of failure in your career, like a, a sort of a choke point or like bus factor in in your own career, I was thinking about that point, and I was thinking about how like you know we we all worked together, work or worked together, and and like the people are a lot of what makes a career a career. Like it's not just feeding it's not just typing right it's its like and it's not even just the problems that you're solving it's like the the problems that you're solving with other people and there's no single person I don't think who's going to be uh who's going to be creating the things that we can all create collectively and and I think that that's something like how is how is LLM any any LLM or AI going to kind of like begin to approach that I don't know like that's kind yeah. of a weird question but it's just a thought that, that I started thinking about when you, when you said that about single points of failure in a career and, and how building resiliency a lot of times is like building a network and building those leadership skills and those connections.
3: I can close it out by saying, chat to the chat bots, but also chat to humans. Humans are out there. Are they cool. though? <laughs> <laughs> Next time. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm a, okay. I got
0: you <laughs> uh, GPT gave me the thing. Okay, I didn't say anything about AI or anything. I just said, "How would I wrap up a tech po- a tech podcast?" Um. So here we go. Thanks for tuning into this episode of our podcast on tech stuff. Today we discussed the latest trends in artificial intelligence and machine learning, including their applications. We also explored the ethical considerations surrounding these technologies and their p- potential impact on society. Some key takeaways from the episode are the importance of transparency and accountability in AI systems, yeah, maybe not, uh, the need for ongoing education and training in this field, and the potential for AI to revolutionize the way we work and live. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast <laughs> platform and share it with your friends and colleagues. We'd love to hear the feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in for more insights uh, next week for more insights into the world of technology. Best outro we've ever had. <laughs> I don't know why I thought we were talking about AI. I didn't I didn't tell it that at all. That's bizarre. It knows. It's like narcissistic. Everybody's talking about AI. It's just assuming <laughs> it's talking about it. We're all talking about it. Yeah. Which is great.
4: All right.
0: I'll see you all next time. Take care.
1: See you everybody. Good Thanks seeing. for having me on.